Our dear friend, Rabbi Stephen Przansky, who of course is now a resident of Israel, is Rabbi Emeritus of Congregation B'nai Yeshurun here in Teaneck, New Jersey. Uh, Israel Region Vice President of the Coalition for Jewish Values and Senior Research Associate at the Jerusalem Center for Applied Policy. Uh, Rabbi Brzezanski's on the road, but I figured it's uh, I'm going to take advantage of any opportunity we have to speak with him. So um, if you hear the background noise, obviously he is uh, traveling at the moment. Rabbi Brzezanski, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Nachum, good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you under the even under these difficult circumstances. I have to imagine, because you're in Modi'in, I have to imagine that you are surrounded by God knows how many families who now have soldiers serving in the IDF reserves. Right. Well, in our shul alone, about 150 young people are gone. They're uh, in the military, along with uh, fathers, you know, husbands. So, yeah, there's a big uh, numerical gap in just in our small community, but all across Modi'in and all across Israel. The, the bottom line is that all of Israel really is a battlefield today, and we're all targets of a ruthless uh, Nazi-like enemy. And therefore, it's a fight that has consumed everyone. Oh, yeah, well said. Uh, not to dwell on it, because there's so much to talk about regarding what's happening right now, but we, we have to ask you um, about Shabbos. Uh, what, what, what was it like? Because I'm assuming on Shabbos Day, on Shemini Atzeret, which is also Simchat Torah in Israel, I'm assuming that all throughout the day you're watching and hearing about uh, uh, soldiers who are being called up and those who literally on Shabbat had no choice but to join their units immediately. I didn't have to hear about it because I saw it with my own eyes. So I actually davened at uh, Hashkama, and I was back in my son's house in Ramat Shemesh uh, a little before 9 o'clock, maybe even a quarter to 9, and just, I think it was 5 to 9, the first siren uh, rang out, you know, Tseva uh, Dome yeah. of an incoming rocket. It was the first of five times that we ran to the shelters just in the next few hours and, you know, you, you hear in the distance the Iron Dome intercepting the uh, incoming missile. And then reports started filtering in because uh, we're right next to Yeshiva Lev HaTorah, which is a Hezdi Yeshiva. Right. And uh, the boys who are in reserves, they have to keep their phones on. And the Tzav Shmona, the call to duty, uh, kept sounding that morning. So you saw... I mean, such a difficult, difficult uh, experience. These boys coming out of yeshiva still in their white shirts and their Yom Tov pants and now with their backpacks on them heading to the front. And I myself saw dozens, some able to change into the uniform and some just with their uniforms in their backpacks, uh, walking down the street, heading to cars and taxis to take them down to the front. And I think it's worth noting, I mean, these are people that we all relate to, uh, even in Teaneck in Bergen County. So many of our young people uh, study just at Leif Hatella, for example. And so many of them stayed on after their year or two to join the military. And they're the ones in the reserves. So it really uh, hits quite 
close to home. Yeah, this, I, mean, this, I don't think this is. A, this is. This yeah. is. I'm sorry for interrupting, but this is one of the points that we've been harping on, and I think it's so vital and important. Uh, <laughs> I had the experience with my own son. Uh, I said to him, you know, did you are, were you know at the beginning of this man? I said, are you familiar with any of the guys who went to the army? Again, with me thinking like I, you know, when I was a teenager, that obviously anybody going are Israeli natives. And, uh, and he says, do I know any, you know, how many of them are Americans that I know for years? And I'm like, oh my gosh, of course. And that's exactly one of the points we're making here. And you could relate to this as much as we always feel like we're on the sidelines and isolated here in the diaspora in situations like this. Now, Rabbi Przanski, I mean, yesterday, this show was hosted by the father of an Israeli reservist. I mean, we are shopping with, we are davening with, we are saying to Hillam with, we're going to Dafyomi with parents and grandparents of Israeli soldiers. Right. So there's that personal familial connection. You know, I have two nephews down at the front and my grandson is otherwise in the IDF now, but it's not just familial. It, it's a broader family of Klal Yisrael yep. because let's face it, Hamas announced, it's not that there's anything new but that every Jew in the world is a target. Yep. And we know they have targeted Jews in Europe, South America, North America. Every Jew feels this connection, should feel the searing pain and anguish that we all feel. And it's not just lishtatev bitzar to participate in the grieving of others, but it's all us. It's happening to everyone. And, you know, the numbers that have come out after the first two days and the deeds, the, the dastardly, heinous, horrific deeds oh. that were committed against our people, evocative of the Holocaust, it has everyone mobilized to do it, each person, man, woman, boy, girl, in order to help the fighters and to sustain morale and to inflict on the enemy a deadly blow. All right, Stephen Frzanski is with us. He's, of course, in Israel. So the big question, and uh, neither you nor I are military experts, but uh, we've gotten used to the fact, and I, I don't know how many times I cited it on this show over the last decades, uh, that Israelis' uh, intelligence and expertise in the area of intelligence uh, helps to such a large degree to keep our brothers and sisters in Israel safe. Uh, every time we point out that a terrorist attack has been quote-unquote successful, uh, we go out of our way to point out that you know we don't know uh, just how many were prevented at the same time that one got through, etc., etc. Uh, any explanation? You're, you're reading the Israeli media and watching it much more closely than we are. Any explanation how all of this was done without an inkling of an idea by Israeli intelligence? Well, the governing principle is that now's not the time for uh, recriminations. The time for that will come. And when it does come, I feel there'll be a, a very harsh result against the prime minister, defense minister, the intelligence establishment, etc. Uh, suffice it to say, they were trapped in a conception that almost duplicated what happened before the Yom Kippur War. You talk it into yourself why the enemy can't attack, and therefore everything that happens has to fit into that general framework. So even though there are repeated raids on the border over the last few months and cutting the fence and trying to get through and, and, and etc., all that is testing the facilities, the the security 
and surveillance uh, system that was in place in order to know how to deal with it. But it basically was ignored because no one would think that Hamas would do it. You know, they had become quite accustomed over the years to something, I have to say, I railed against this notion of, like Netanyahu said for many years already, you'll get quiet for quiet, meaning if you don't attack us, so we don't care how many missiles or rockets you acquire and uh, and uh, prepare to use, we're just going to uh, uh, enjoy the quiet now and kick the can down the road. And the mentality was every few years, you have to mow the grass a little, mow the lawn. That's what it's called here, right. to, to try, try to reduce their capabilities as much as possible. But that can't go on forever. And that itself, that conception, I think, will be lambasted in the coming months after this is finished. Look, there's a consensus, even amongst the left here, that Hamas can't survive. And if it survives in any form, in any form, then this war is a terrible failure and defeat for Israel. And that's one of the fears that we have now. Of the enemy, there's not such a fear. Of the diplomacy after the fighting stops, or even during the fighting, there is a fear. Right now, the world is very supportive, and the American government, the Biden administration is very supportive, but the estimates here won't last more than a week. That's right. Even last night in Biden's speech, yep. when he said, was last night here, yesterday in America, yep. when he said that the, the, the warfare has to be conducted under the rules of war, yep. well, yeah, that's very nice in an academy, yep. but you're dealing with an enemy that does not respect the rules of war. How do you apply morality or the rules of war to an enemy that openly not only defies them, but mocks them. Yep. I, I would just remind the, I will remind the audience of one thing, because we'll be hearing in the coming weeks about the civilians in Gaza, this, that. The bottom line is the Gazans voted Hamas into power in 2006. They got the majority in the parliament in Gaza, and then just a year later they threw out Fatah. But the people got what they voted for. And we should never forget that. Yeah, no question about it. Rabbi Brzezanski is with us from Israel. Um, the, to the point you just made about how long this feeling can last, especially among those who traditionally are leftists, I remind everybody that in the few days after 9-11, people you never would have suspected would become hawkish and would insist that the United States, you know, uh, hunt down bin Laden and murder everybody in his circle, etc., etc. A couple of weeks later, all of a sudden they change their tune. So this feeling, as you described, is going to dissipate pretty quickly. Um, I, yeah, I think it will. And bear in mind, you know, there's a lot of support in America from the good and normal people and in Europe, even from the governments. But what I see on the college campuses yep. and in the streets of the cities, Harvard, people glorifying Harvard, Yale, NYU, people glorifying and extolling Hamas murder, vicious, horrific, torturous murder of babies and women, I mean, are those the leaders who are preparing for tomorrow? Yeah. The lawyers, the college graduates, what's going to be in the, America? The journalists, the town? journalists of tomorrow. The journalists. Yeah, some of them are already journalists today with their activity on social media. Uh, also, to the point about the intelligence that you, um, uh, that you uh, addressed when I asked about it, uh, I, I think, not to be too 
spiritual and philosophical. But I think, again, we've learned the lesson that there's really ultimately only one prime minister of Israel. And uh, it's not Netanyahu. It's obviously the one above is the reference I'm making. And he rules the world. Yeah. And, and, and the only way to you explain know. all this is, 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 to again, uh, is to, again, affirm our belief that he controls all. Right. I, 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 the other day, I coined the phrase that this is really Milchemed Yom Kippur It's the second Yom Kippur War. And not only because of the great failure of intelligence that took place before the war in 1973, but because of what happened on Yom Kippur here in Israel, the, the terrible sights of yep. Jews yep. disrupting, davening, saying, we don't believe in God, you have no place in the public square, and that type of disunity, well, now God says to us, I'll do something that will reunite you. you yep. You'll finally understand what it is that brings Jews together. And it's not just the common enemy, but rather it's the common destiny that we have yeah. as the Am Hashem, God's people, the Am Nivchar, the chosen people. And uh, give me a two-minute warning, Ari Brzezinski, before you, you reach your destination. Also, how many of those reservists refuse to serve, Ari Brzezinski? Can I assume the number is zero? Uh, the number is uh, less than zero because you have a 105% response rate. Unbelievable. Meaning more people have showed up in the South than were called up. Yep. That is the extent. And you see, it's unleashed. You know, the, the, the evil is so staggering, but it has unleashed the type of kindness and warmth and sensitivity that really inheres in all Jews that just needs a spark that it should come out and be actualized. And that we saw. Yeah, it's not worth a war and the, the terrible death that we've suffered in order to uh, have that type of unity, but it is a byproduct. There's no, there's no way around that. And look, will I say the feeling will last uh, longer than uh, a few months? I can't say that, but we could enjoy it now, and we hope that at least in the future, it's somewhat, the disunity and the different factions are somewhat tempered down the road, and we realize our commonality. Right. as the people of Israel and the land of Israel. Let, let me ask a rhetorical question, even though you might say to me, as you, as you said earlier, that it may not be the day for it. But ironically, uh, the last time we spoke on the air, uh, we were discussing the 30th anniversary of Oslo. How did that work out? And of course, we cited the 2005 disengagement from Gaza. How did that work out? Uh, again, this may not be the day for it and for this analysis, but how could one not think about these tragic mistakes that have been made in recent modern Jewish history? Yeah, all based on the fantasy that somehow we in Israel are post-Jewish history, meaning the lugubrious history of the Jewish people is ancient, or at least 80 years ago, right. and we don't have to deal with it anymore, that they'll never again, how does that phrase sound? when you have Jews shot in their beds and hauled off into captivity, that never again will Jews go uh, defenseless, uh, ruthless enemy. Yeah, we are not past Jewish history. At Biat HaMashiach, until Mashiach comes, we have to struggle for our Torah, our identity, our land, and that's the reality in which we live. God has blessed us in the land of Israel with so many things. The problem has been... And I'll say as a general statement, and you could plug in however you feel, the problem is too often we spurn his gifts 
and we say to ourselves that, ah, or we say they say to themselves, we don't really need it. Maybe give them this, give them that. Let's all live together, etc. I was learning uh, the sedra of Vezot HaBracha. Rabbeinu Bachaya says, he said, the land of Israel means because we're the only ummah, the only nation that should be residing in the land of Israel. And whenever you have other peoples who make claims to it, it is an inherent source of friction. So sure, Oslo was a fantasy. The, the expulsion from Gaza was also based on fantasy. And you know, people keep writing here, even the left. You see it sometimes in, in the media outside of Israel that the two-state illusion is gone, dead, finished. It's even the Wall Street Journal today. I wish it were true. I wish it were true. The problem is when people stop seeing reality and they become so frozen in their worldview, what happens is that everything that occurs in reality on the ground just reinforces their prior view. You hope that such a terrible shock to the system will cause people to awaken and say, hey, this is a real enemy, a real enemy that we have in front of us that is implacable. It's a mullet. There's nothing you could say to them, nothing you can convince them. And for that matter, again, you go back to the demonstrations in the, the cities around America and in Europe and on the campuses. It's not, an, it's not a question of hasbara, of explaining to them the, uh, the, the, the nuts and bolts of the conflict here. There's nothing to explain. If you seek to rationalize the, de the, the, the murderous deaths of infants, the mutilation of bodies, what they're doing to uh, women, if you try to rationalize that, you've lost not only your humanity, you've lost your mind, and you can't talk to such people. And that's the problem. We're living in a world where so many people cannot be spoken to. Yeah, you can't, their minds. you can't talk to such people even if they serve in the Congress of the United States. That's correct. You can't talk to Their minds are so closed and wrapped around an idea that is nurtured in the soil of Jew hatred, absolute, utter Jew hatred. There's nothing to say to them. Rabbi Przanski's with us. Uh, I'll let you go in a minute. We just have to end on a positive note, obviously. Uh, you remember what life was like here in the United States, being on the sidelines, so to speak. You and I and hundreds of others on many occasions were, were so we're often compelled to run to Israel in situations like this because we didn't want to be on the sidelines. We wanted to be as close to there as possible. Uh, you must be reading. It sounds like you're reading and watching a lot. You must be reading about the public demonstrations, pro-Israel, of course. Uh, you must be reading about the tefillah gatherings in Lakewood and in Crown Heights and all these videos that, thank God, I'm encouraging people to gather publicly for anything because these videos go viral and they're so important for people to see. They're so much more effective than getting together via Zoom where the, nobody in the world knows about it uh, or, or sees it afterwards. I'm not discouraging people from getting together in any forum to say Tillam or to Davin, but I think everyone here understands what I mean. Uh, and of course, I'm sure you've seen the videos of planes being packed with supplies and shuls getting together to send things to soldiers in Israel, etc., etc., etc. Is are the Israeli people, with everything else that's obviously a priority for them right now, so I almost have a chutzpah even asking this question, but do they recognize that Jews around the world are trying to play some type of an active role in what's going on? A hundred percent. You have to understand, it's, a, it's a, what we say in Israel, 
Lopashut, you know, it's not a simple situation with classic Israeli understatement. The, the radio only plays somber music. I was in the mall yesterday, Modi'in, all the stores are closed because all the young people are gone. Right. The, the streets are empty. The stores are empty. And yet, when we read about and we see the tefillot, the tehillim, the supplies, the concern that's expressed, it's inspirational because it reminds us that we really are am echad. And those of us in Israel and those of us not yet in Israel really do share the same destiny. And we have the same, deep down, the same goals in life. And we share the same heritage and the same history. Some more, some less. But it's all part of one family. And that strengthens us. And the more people do, and there, there are a lot of needs, and you know them as well, in the military, helping the families who have been dislocated from the south. Things, of course, are heating up in the north as well. Every action a person does, and even on the campuses when they challenge the Jew haters and stand up with pride, Jewish pride, all that brings us tremendous encouragement and gives us the spirit to persevere. Can't thank you enough. Uh, your words are, uh, are much appreciated, and you've started our day in a very encouraging way. Uh, stay safe, Rabbi, and best regards to everybody in Aritz. Thank you very much, and uh, keep fighting the good fight, and Mir Tashem will have the best outcome that is possible. Amen. And, uh, together we'll be able to welcome uh, someday soon Mashiach Tzukein. Amen. Hashem guarantees it that we'll have the best outcome possible. Just sometimes it's painful getting there, that's all. That is correct. Thank you so much. All right. Stephen Przanski, of course, at one time the rabbi here in Congregation B'nai Yishurin in Teaneck, New Jersey, Vice President, Israel Region of the Coalition for Jewish Values and Senior Research Associate at the Jerusalem Center for Applied Policy. And uh, most importantly, someone who is articulate and sensible when it comes to issues like this. And boy, we need his voice now. And other voices like his more than ever. More coming up. It is a Wednesday morning edition of JM.